Calling all beans, y'all. Let's get it. Welcome back to Calling All Beings Wednesday, baby. It's a UFO disclosure symposium being put on by Stephadelic, UAP experiencer Stephanie. I'm your host, DJ, along with my brother, the artistic one, Monet Nathan. What's up, y'all? How's it going? <laughs> All right, brother. Good <laughs> evening, man. I'm glad I could I could uh, sort of make it to this shindig. It was a little touch and go, but I'm here. You know, but some it, it was never touch and go. Never, ever for Flarius Kevin. What's up, guys? How's it going? <laughs> What's up? What's up, good. Guys? Good to see you. Yo, yo, yo. Good to Hello. see you. And, you know, up in the uh, upper right-hand corner, there's this young lady who has a penchant for doing ufo research it's kind of weird hi deb hey there hi everybody what's up will you, up, will, will you cop and admit to it uh a little bit of research once in a while like okay a lot okay once in a while a lot <laughs> and the woman of the hour <laughs> stephadelic baby give it up hey what's up thanks for the warm welcome uh, glad, to, glad to be here yeah it's all good. And we're about to bring on this guest here. Man. Uh, hello, Joshua. How you doing? Williams, hello. Anon, Anon Et. Cool. E. I like that. Anon E.T. Oh, sorry. See, that's that's why I have Nathan. That's why you pay the big bucks. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, up is 401k. All right. This this is what I want to tell you. I want to bring this brother up in here. Uh, Carl the Crusher. And you know what, Nathan? Bring him on screen because I want to say this. My man. What? Yeah! <laughs> Woo! Say it to my face, DJ. Carl, I'm going to say it to your face. Carl the Crusher, man. Let's talk about this, man. Okay. Let's talk. Your YouTube channel. You have more followers than the nations of Slovenia and Montenegro combined. Can you believe that? That was my more goal. They have 2.1 million, and then if I add Montenegro at 639,000, you still have more. I know. That's what I th when I started YouTube in tw 2009, I was like, if I'm not stopping until I pass Montenegro. I yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. I, I'm going to tell you something, Carl. You have really beat that, Carl, vibe, because you've actually, even if I add in Liechtenstein and Luxembourg, you still haven't beat. So, <laughs> right. I mean, anybody who beats Liechtenstein, Nathan, come on, man. I know. Well, look, I remember years ago when you called out Montenegro and you said, I'm coming for you. <laughs> and, you know, they didn't believe you, but here you are. So got to set your goals high. You know what I mean? Uh, OK, <laughs> Eastern Europe. He's <laughs> Slovakia. Step back, man. He's Everyone's like... on notice now. Sure. That's right. Welcome, Carl, man. I started. Uh, I've just become aware of you because obviously um it wasn't enough that all these nations, that the entire nation was following you, uh, and, and somehow <laughs> it escaped me. But, man, amazing content to watch you because you were out there immersed in the discovery. So, 
you know, like De- when I met Deb, for instance, uh, Carl, she was using literally using a phone. She didn't even have her, her the laptop she's currently using yet. And she had done this enormous amount of research just on her phone and unearthed all these documents. You're actually out there immersed in the terrain discovering things. Please. How did this happen? Please. Yeah. Um, you know, it's kind of funny. I've been into it my whole life, like uh, curious about it. And when I moved down here to Southern Utah, like uh, almost seven years ago, I was watching TV and it was honestly like an episode of the Ancient Aliens uh, on TV. And I was just wandering by and I noticed I was like, man, all these carvings and the petroglyphs they were showing are all on this like red sandstone rock and limestone so i got curious and jumped on the internet and i was like holy crap these are like actually all around me everywhere that i live so i got curious and started going out and looking and i realized i was like man i, ha- I have a knack for actually finding these and i started finding some that weren't even documented around and realizing it seemed like there was patterns to them there was clues it seemed like they pointed in different directions and seem to tell like a story beyond what the official story and what the the public and even the Native American tribes were telling. So I started trying to piece it together uh, and really immerse myself into it and into the the folklore and the history around it. And it kind of consumed my whole life. I started making videos about my expeditions around it. It took me up to the Uinta Basin, up to Blind Frog Ranch and around Skinwalker Ranch. I've been over by Area 51 and all over the place. And so uh, and recently, you know, a lot of these petroglyphs have led to uh, a finding. And now I'm actually going to be presenting like an, an hour-long presentation at the UFO Disclosure Symposium on Saturday about some of the stuff that I've discovered. It's been pretty wild. But. That's what I'm talking about, the UFO Disclosure Symposium. That is why Carl is here because he's going to be presenting. Uh, I wish I was going to be there. Uh, Seth is also part of organizing this joint. I'm going to just call it a joint. And I'm going to pass this over to Money Nathan, but I think I'd be remiss if I didn't at least ask you a very simple question, which is what was that feeling like the first time you discovered something, you saw something from an ancient people? Because I don't know if anybody else on the panel knows what that would feel like. For me personally, because I, you know, I studied so much about it and I go out hiking a lot and you, you go out a lot and don't find anything. That's the part that a lot of people don't realize is that I'll upload on my YouTube channel, maybe like a 15 minute long video, but that might be at the end of three or four days of hiking and looking and not discovering anything. And so sometimes I'll turn around a corner and I'll finally discover something that I feel like I've been trying to find and it's it's strange it's like a mix of emotions um sometimes it's so spectacular i've i've like actually like sat down and got emotional and like cried for a little bit because um the amount of time that it's taken to like go hike and look for it and the effort but also there is like a spiritual connection for me when i when i walk into these areas i feel like i'm i might be the first person to see this and maybe 8,000 years or something. And, and so I feel like I'm almost trespassing into someone's territory or land or their home. And so 
I'll even I find myself talking out loud, like uh, walking up to the area, like saying thank you, and I'm expressing gratitude, and I'll sit down and I get emotional for a minute, <laughs> and then I just take it all in, and then once I feel like I've kind of absorbed it and my energy's there, then I'll turn the camera on and try to to capture it as best I can. But uh, yeah, I've had some pretty powerful experiences, especially when I set the equipment aside and I'll do like meditation and really try to connect with the area. I've had some some good and bad experiences both. So, uh, yeah, but um, I feel really connected with it, especially with this uh, location that I've discovered recently that I'm going to be talking about at the symposium. I feel like I've been crawling around the rocks in this area for over a year and very connected to it. I didn't even realize until later that where I was sitting and doing meditations in this one location was actually the ancient shaman's seat where they used to sit and do the rituals in the ancient times. I had no idea I was sitting on the actual rock itself where those things were being done. For like a year, I've been sitting there trying to connect with the petroglyphs and what they're trying to say. And I was <laughs> found out later that I was sitting in the actual spot they used to sit to do the ancient ceremonies. It was pretty, pretty interesting. But yeah, so I, I love it. It's a big part of my life now. It's kind of uh, become an obsession of mine. <laughs> I love your pro. I love that you have a process, uh, and and it's great that you kind of just get. It's almost like a yoga again. You know, you get comfortable in the space. You kind of take stock of where you are, and then you go about setting to actually instead of just running around crazy. Uh, these guys know that I'm all the time looking for Bigfoot, and all I found so far are deer feces, and that's when I was doing sit-ups. But uh, let me pass <laughs> it over to Money Nathan. Well, it's great to talk with you tonight. Uh, your passion for this is just obvious it's really cool to see what you're doing out in the field and to see your involvement uh, not only in your own research but what's happening in the larger ufo community um, with your research in particular you know i find it interesting because in america just for example we kind of don't have a very strong connection to our past and uh, you you know have intentionally tried to reconnect with a past with the past that is part of our land that uh, was in our land for a very long time. And I find that just to be very uh, rewarding and fulfilling and redeeming. Uh, and, I, and I'm sure that as you talk with people, you probably encounter that as well. Um, I'm also interested in the fact that, uh, you know, rocks, they, uh, you know, they, they do have a propensity to crush things. And uh, you're also a crusher. And you said you talk sometimes when you're out there. Uh, you know, are you communicating with, with the rocks? And uh, now that people know the rocks are talking back with you, uh, are you worried that other geologic formations may start reaching out and having conversations? You know, that's funny because I, I used to study and read, uh, and I still do, the work of Carl Jung. And mm -hmm. when he, as the philosopher, when he was a young child, he used to go out in his backyard and sit on a rock and meditate and he would imagine himself as if he was the rock and and that there was a little boy sitting on top of him and then that he was the earth and there was a rock with a boy on top of him and he would shift his perspective around. So I guess I can relate to that a little bit. I do that when I go to these areas and meditate. I don't know that I necessarily talk to the rock, but I definitely open my consciousness up to other dimensions or time spaces or realities to try and see if there's any intuition or anything that I can uh, get from that or learn or connect with. I feel like it's part of what they do in remote viewing and all kinds of stuff is sort of connected. So I try to open up my aperture and tap into all that instead of just 
plow into an area with my mind racing and my agenda going to get a video film. So I try to do all of that at once. But as far as the rocks talking back, <laughs> yeah, I don't know if it's the rocks or Mother Earth or if it's another time, but I definitely sometimes feel like there's a, a connection that opens up for sure. And and that, that's come through. I mean, the little videos that you've already shown, there seems to be a real sense of communion with the landscape. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm wondering if it's not just a matter of a phenomenon that, that just so happens to be there, but it really is a connection that you have made with whatever that, that happens to be. And I, I don't know, I hope, I'm sure you've explored that and thought about that uh, as, our, as the ancients who used to live there, no doubt had a connection as well uh, with those particular places. Yeah, I try to approach it all as if these locations, if they are responsive to intention i try to go into it with the right intention and and to get that out of it because that's the way the myths and the folklore all relate that if you go into these with your life in disarray or with bad intentions that you're going to reflect that or take like a hitchhiker home or have mm. bad experiences that result maybe even nightmares or things that affect your life personally and so i try to approach all that out of like respect and caution uh and and go into it uh, mindful of that. And I also try to back it up with science too. I take in, you know, a tri-field meter. I take in um, different investigation, investigative equipment, night vision. And so that when things do try to like kick up or occur or if paranormal things start to happen, I try to capture it. And yeah, I've, I've actually caught quite a bit of strange stuff on my night vision camera. And so it's nice. going to be fun to reveal all of that soon. So exciting. Uh, I believe Kevin and his long hair would like to speak with your beard. Let's do it. Hey, my Mr. Beard, Carl. It's got a lot to say. <laughs> yeah. All right. I, I hope so. I've got a lot to say, too. So Carl Young, right? Memories, dreams, and reflections. Seems like you're a Carl Young fan. I am, too. Yeah. He's one of my um, big influences. Also, uh, Graham Hancock, Terrence McKenna. I think maybe we Definitely. could probably talk. You know, yeah. So I'm, I'm yeah, wondering. Yeah. Um, I noticed that Hancock and McKenna they explored the psychedelic aspect. I was wondering, um, have you explored that as it relates to the, sh to sh shamanism? You know, either I've had one experience with uh, mushrooms that I did with a friend of mine mm -hmm. on one occasion, and, and honestly, it was a a really amazing experience that was validating to me. This was after probably doing meditation for like a, a year. And I felt like it was like confirming to a lot of the meditation experiences and like visionary things that have happened to me just in my own mm -hmm. spiritual practice. Uh, that's honestly the only time I've ever done it. Um, I feel like because my research does get criticized or if I do post videos, if I find something, it's going to get questioned. I I don't go out into the field using psychedelics. And honestly, because well. I go alone, I would never do that. And at right. home, but I do think that it's valid to explore all aspects of the phenomenon. And I know that even in higher levels, even in the government and the CIA and Stanford Research Institute, they were experimenting with all aspects of that and human consciousness and connecting with other realities. And so I think there's validity to exploring it, but I think it should just definitely be done with caution and not uh, for entertainment purposes <laughs> absolutely yeah. yeah i agree with i that. think it yeah. yeah i think it would be helpful it maybe helping create maybe a map of the psyche consciousness i think maybe yeah but definitely in a yeah. controlled setting i agree <laughs> for sure yeah i think there's something to that whether it be through the different methods that are coming out recently you know the ce5 or different meditation approaches to the phenomenon through consciousness mm -hmm. and sometimes you know i think through 
different psychedelics or even, you know, approaches with uh, auditory stimulation. You have like binaural and hemisync audio and different things that can, uh, I think it's just different approaches for different people and what they're attuned to. And some people are more of a shamanistic approach and might use different herbs or medicines to uh, try and approach it uh, that way. And other people go out into nature and connect with environments and have different approaches. And so I think to, to each their own, there's uh, validity to it um, as long as it's done the proper way. Yeah. For sure. Thank you. I needed to unmute to get none other than your co-conspirator in this event. Miss Stephanie <laughs> Stefadelic. <laughs> hey, what's up, Carl? Um, you know, it, it is serendipitous that the, the Disclosure Symposium came across you to orchestrate all of these interviews with people. And you do, you know, all of this, you know, research on your own. And it, it all just so happened to come together. And I just really do believe that you are have been placed in this position to be almost the facilitator. And um, not only that, but when you, you know, discovered what you came across in uh, just past area 50 near area 51 on the same trip to magic mesa um i just think that that was also brought to you for this very reason i i think that there was more to you just facilitating these you know interviews and that you needed to deliver more information so um kind of bouncing off of what kevin had mentioned using these different items such as say like the auditory stimulation. Um, I know that you're really great friends with Michelle Miners and she is just a beautiful soul and she's contributed so much to the Uinta Basin. I know that there's potential for something related to that uh, to come forth this weekend. So is there anything that you can kind of chime in on that for the audience? Yeah, I think that uh, Michelle and I have both had kind of experiences where, um, you know, she is a kind of a liaison to the Native American, the First Nations people for the state of Utah. And she works with me a lot so that when I go to a lot of these sites, I'm not, you know, trouncing on culture and traditions or, mm -hmm. or approaching things inappropriately. So she helps me yes. a lot with that. And especially if I need to negotiate with Native American tribes and talk with them to get access to things, she helps me with that as well quite a bit, but we have the same, a lot of same similar background experiences that we connected on. So when we became friends and I started to, you know, trust her and tell her some of my experiences, she had a lot of the same. So she's seen a lot of the same things and her view of the petroglyphs and the ancient history revolving around them and its connection with the UFO phenomenon and the other paranormal aspects of it. She mm -hmm. kind of has the same experience and viewpoint and is mm -hmm. trying to bridge that gap between the ancient Native American cultures and their teachings and beliefs and the modern approach and also right in the middle of it, the scientific approach and the equipment and everything uh, required to try and merge all of these aspects together. And so somehow in the middle of all that, here I am like just like a YouTuber and, and able to be friends with everybody and somehow have like a knack to be able to take all these complicated concepts from the ancient esoteric secrets from the past and the philosophies and the science and the and all of that and then kind of the the fun woo-woo stuff in the middle that everybody yeah. likes as well yeah. and be able to mix that all together and communicate it in a way to people that they can understand and and 
um, realize that it is all connected. Because on the surface, mm-hmm. people like to just look at UFOs as being spaceships from outer space from another planet. And then, you know, paranormals ha- paranormal stuff has to do with ghosts and demons and their religion and they're completely different categories or something. And, and people, I think, have a hard time bridging that gap and then mm-hmm. having it be relatable to their day-to-day life and reality and how to approach it. And I'm really trying to do that. And somehow this symposium and everybody involved in it is all on the same page with that. And it's really refreshing and collaborative in the effort instead of like territorial and trying to keep it all in one box or the other. And I like that. So I think it's all coming together naturally like it's supposed to. 100% connecting all of the dots. Yep. Perfectly described. Thank you. Yeah, you bet. Carl, uh, you spoke about investigative tools. Um, could do you, Is your beard one of those tools that you use that aids in these investigation? Is it, it pivotal or? It is absolutely pivotal. Yes, it is. Because <laughs> the times when I'm out there alone, it's so much easier with my beard to have like a cute girl right there with me. And I just kind of right, no. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let me get a better when question. I, when me... I look like a Christmas ham, it's not, I'm way more cold and alone out there, and I can't. Have, it just doesn't work. The skinwalkers don't even want to talk to me. It's embarrassing. They don't even want to haunt you. This Everything's joke. swiping left, even the paranormal stuff. They don't. <laughs> I feel like that was classified oh, information Carl. until now. You just uncovered that, DJ. Uh, <laughs> oh my God, Deb's just let me know that we passed over. So, all right, I'm. The question that I had for you is going to hold because I'm, right now I'm in the penalty box. Uh, right now, Deb has put me in the penalty box. I'm there with, like, the goon from the third uh, line on this hockey squad. So, Debs, please go right ahead. My, my apologies. No, it's okay. I think it's okay because I'm so excited that I will be getting to talk to you all on my own for, like, a whole hour and a half in the future. And I'm trying to refrain from asking all the millions of questions that I want to ask. But I guess... I guess I'll ask you one experiencer-based question because um, you you mentioned Young, and do you feel like there's a possibility that collective consciousness does sort of play a role in why it is so many experiencers have similar experiences, including through meditation and trance? Yeah. Wow, that's a really deep and profound question for me <laughs> to answer. Because perfect for the symposium. You want me to? You want me to throw it out there? I'll go for it. Let's go down. Go the, for it. You want to go down the Carl Young rabbit hole here? I really feel like uh, my personal relationship with reality is a lot like um, the best way to describe it is sort of like a dream, where when you go to sleep at night, you realize that everything in the dream whether you see another person, a car, a house, or a scene, is really made of an extension of your own subconscious, like projected outside yourself as a realm or a reality that you're kind of walking around in and interacting in. And you don't even realize that it is you that you're kind of roaming around in within the dreamscape. And in our day-to-day life, when we're awake and going around, I feel like it's kind of the same thing, but the rules are just slightly more physical or slowed down and deliberate and it involves more of a a collective because we're in a physical reality instead of a non-physical psychic reality like we are in sort of a dreamscape. So I think when we're awake, we're sharing sort of a collective consciousness that sort of procedurally generates itself and it autonomously does that with our own subconscious and we find ourselves 
kind of as an individual within that sharing the space. And so I, I do agree with that. I feel like our emotions, our thoughts, our intentions and attitudes and everything are actually shaping our physical reality ahead of ourselves, like placing the train tracks ahead of the train as we go just outside of our field of vision beyond our, our, our sight and uh, reality unfolds ahead of us according to that. So as our collective consciousness awakens to that realization that we're all sharing this reality of awareness together, that we uplift that perspective and vibration of awareness and we have a more unified sense of how we all belong together and we share this reality and this, uh, this uh, what this is, being awake and alive and sharing uh, consciousness and reality and, and what this is together, I think is all a, a unified thing. And if we realize that we're co-creators in that together, then we realize that we're all part of it and we can uplift that and quit uh, creating such a division because I think the universe just wants that centered balance and we tend to push against that with our own agendas. So the more we center in that, reality unfolds to us and we begin to find our true purpose and place and everything improves. So I don't know, that's kind of a big answer to that question, but I guess, yes, I think we do share like a, a collective reality that we all contribute to and participate in kind of like a antennas on a radio sharing an ocean of signals that we all contribute to and, and receive together. And it's all about the harmony. Wow. You, Deb has a follow-up, but you're quickly becoming one of my favorite guests ever. Go ahead, Deb. <laughs> no, I was just going to say, so it's sort of like we're all a cosmic family, right? Yeah. Right, everybody? Okay. <laughs> That's all. Oh, my God. This is one of the most lovable human beings. <laughs> Deb, is that it? Deb, do you have something else? Or can no, I no. I actually okay. was recently looking at that idea of how science fiction and science fact push each other and inspire each other recently when, yeah. when you made the comment about the train tracks i think that's a perfect example you know we all come up with this idea and then someone goes oh that's a great idea and then it becomes reality so right. i think that's a really like a concrete way of seeing that happen yeah, yeah. go uh, go ahead no i was going to say my follow-up to deb's question which i'm not going to ask you now because i got to get to the symposium but maybe when you do go on the data dojo, we can talk about this. But then it begs the question is, can your dream in real time influence someone else dreaming? That's but I I don't I, I know you can that, that you could probably go off on that. But I, you know, I have got to get to the, the symposium or Steph's going to fire me like tomorrow. I'm yeah, not going to have give a, you a job quick answer. Your quick answer. Go ahead. Yeah. Yeah, the work of Michael Persinger, Michael Persinger at the Stanford Research, Research Institute showed he developed a system where they could put a headset on, an electromagnetic headset, and have one person in one side of the building actually do like a remote viewing or project their consciousness out of body, and another person could project into their body and actually see what they were seeing, like read things off a page, and, and they could like swap consciousness into other bodies oh, and different things God. doing meditation and remote view and, and all kinds of crazy stuff. So the idea of like transferring into dreams and even into the past or like peering into the near future is all something that's kind of been documented and hidden from people that I think is part of our human potential that just is untapped or kept a secret. So I love I it. I think so. I think so. Yeah. I love it. Debs, can I co-host on the Carl of the Crusher <laughs> episode, please? Can you book me a seat? I might let you. I might. <laughs> okay.
Okay. I'll be there. <laughs> you can count on it. Even if I have my other hip replaced. All right. So <laughs> I love the answer of the whole thing with the beard. Nathan's like digging it. Cause he's like, cool. Now, if I go out and look at sites, this is going to help. I mean, it's going to be a you know, value added. Uh, but here's my question to you regarding the symposium. So Steph doesn't fire me. Um, from a 30,000 foot view, if you are a UFO Twitter meathead, actually that, that pretty much describes me. Explain why it's important to attend an event like this, either uh, uh, in person or virtually, please. Oh, that's a great question. Honestly, it's because for the first time ever, we have four pieces of new UFO footage that are going to be revealed and released that are along uh, lines with the uh, credentials of the other stuff that you've seen. They're military-grade FLIR footage. There's like over 20 minutes worth of it. But the uh, perspective of angles of the people that are coming, the keynote speakers to the symposium, are coming at, at it from such different angles. You have everybody from Avi Loeb, a Harvard professor who uh, you know, came onto the scene with his uh, analysis of the Oumuamua, that uh, interstellar object that came in through our solar system and seemed to make a U-turn around our planet, you know. And from his perspective all the way to, like, Paul Hynek is the son of J. Allen Hynek, uh, head of Project Blue Book. And then Michelle <laughs> Miners, like we talked about, she's the, you know, connected with the Native American aspect. We have a whole spectrum of professionals and colleagues, researchers and scientists that are coming to not only reveal this footage, but there's been a high level of analysis done on it to kind of take it to the next level, which is what, like, Stephen Leah does He's a, a video uh, analyst who does a lot of that. I'm not even sure how much of that I'm allowed to talk about what he does. But um, yeah, Secret. yeah, for real. But uh, the level of it that uh, is coming to the table is really amazing because for the first time, it's not just like we talked about, just about UFOs from outer space in the sky, but it's kind of bridging that gap to where we're able to talk about it from everybody's different perspective because we have people there from uh, Travis Taylor's from Skinwalker Ranch, uh, Dwayne Ollinger and Charles Schneider. They're from Blind Frog Ranch, and their research is involved a lot with you know shadow figures and plasma shapes on the ground and on the on the side of the mesa and, and also UFOs in the sky. So it's kind of bridging that uh, gap of fields of expertise and bringing it all onto the table in a collaborative effort. So no matter which approach you have to the topic, everybody can come and have something to discuss and respect each other and finally uh, talk about it all together instead of having it be different slices of the same pie of pretending that they're all different categories. And, you know, I'd like to add to your point before I turn it over to Monet. Nathan, um, when 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 the the government, you know, we're talking about a congressional hearing that just happened. All of their staffers, I think I explained this with Steph and I spoke about this. They're looking at metrics. So when you're having a, two UFO conferences maybe in a weekend, and and they're looking at how many tweets daily are on Twitter, how many interactions, how many impressions. That's when they're deciding because they're going to say to the boss, "Hey, you know what? This this is trending right now." Uh, I think it would be expedient, politically speaking, for 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 us to to get on board with this issue, at least tacitly or otherwise. And and so I think this is a huge metric, uh, what you guys are doing, and they will be tracking the results of that. And that adds to the pressure 
that it applies on uh, government officials to speak about this. So with that, let me turn it over to Nathan, please. Uh, Carl, we, uh, we've kind of talked a little bit about legacy in a way. You know, some we talked about at the beginning of the show, the sort of ancient history. And, you know, here we are today uh, trying to reclaim some of that. And, you know, for me, at least the symposium, it does represent in some some fashion this legacy of those that have come before. You know, you talked about Paul Hanek and his father and the work that he did with Project Blue Book. It's just one example that we are kind of coalescing around this topic in a way that hasn't necessarily happened at the scale that it's starting to happen, at least in the public space. You talked a little bit about as well, sort of this, uh, you know, shared reality and how our our intention and our even our vocabulary, the way that we, that we sort of share language and, and thinking about the world in which we inhabit that influences the world. And so with, with that kind of context and thinking, you know, what are some big things that you're hoping that will come out of this collaboration over the weekend? Mm. Yeah, I think it really is just uh, what I'm hoping for is that everybody just opens their mind and their eyes a little bit. At a deeper level, I'm hoping that, you know, everybody collectively gathering together at the symposium maybe creates something phenomenal to occur. That's a little bit what Steph was hinting at as well, is that Michelle and I and other people have an intention set that hopefully over the symposium that maybe a UFO will show up and everybody there will see it or will have some kind of a shared experience or everybody will come back the next morning and be like, wow, we all had the same dream last night. What's going on here? Or, or some kind of a phenomenal experience that we all have to explain would be really cool if that could happen. But I do think that when you get different aspects of the research in the community that are usually prone to bickering and arguing together on the same focal point to actually discuss it in a collaborative effort, it does change the tone. Everybody can see that example how people from Blind Frog Ranch and Skinwalker Ranch working from completely different networks from Discovery Channel to History Channel still can get together and be friends and focus on the bigger issue and the topic at hand, which is like helping shift the dialogue and the topic of conversation. Because right now, basically, a lot of people have impressions out of Hollywood and out of uh, what they've grown up watching in movies and television when it comes to this topic. And that's part of the problem. And so I think having this symposium uh, has opened up the door to where everybody from people like me, who's just a, an amateur researcher who goes out and hikes around and does it on their own and has a very personal relationship with it, to someone like Avi Loeb, a Harvard professor. And we're going to be sitting at the same table with mutual shared respect, having the same conversation. And that's huge. Those types of walls have never been dropped before. There's always been this barrier between the people in the suits and ties that are writing the scientific papers and the people at home uh, dealing with the phenomenon in their own basement or whatever, or when they go to bed every night. And so having everybody finally coming together and discussing it on equal terms, uh, that's the feeling that I think is coming from the symposium that's going to come out of it, that hopefully changes the atmosphere is uh, the collaborative effort from multiple different aspects of research. It just has to happen because everybody disagreeing is not helping. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Kevin, uh, I think Kevin has a, a, a surprise for you. Kev. I do. You know, you're speaking of collaborations, you know, I've, here's the thing. I've talked to a lot of people. I talked to, you know, Brandon Fugel. I talked to um, TJ Allard. 
and they, they rejected my my idea. So I wanted to know maybe if you could bring this idea to the symposium because there's going to be a lot of people there and a lot of people need food. And so I came up with this idea. All right. So if if Nathan can cue it up. So, yeah, I, I made so blind frog ranch dressing yeah. as, as a condiment, you know, yeah. for for all these people there. There's going to be a lot of French fries. So <laughs> what do you, what do you think, so man? Good. I think now, it's this awesome. It. it already has the name in there. It already flows. The, right. the logo, you've already got it made. The labels are I got done. it all made. And this is what it all looks the work like for me even. Functionally, it's got your name on there and your face. <laughs> Carl's own fro <laughs> blind frog ranch dressing. I've got another flavor for you too. I don't like recycling jokes, so I kind of I kind of <laughs> went with a different one. So this is oh, yeah. this is radioactive bacon flavor. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. right out of three mile island baby that's right, Spared no right. Expense. that's when you've so, dug too deep right <laughs> you dug right too deep <laughs> right so yeah we'll have a booth we'll serve the ranch to everyone that's my plan with your that name on it great Make i can't believe that nobody else liked that idea i'm, I'm all for startup ideas <laughs> yeah, like that kevin was yeah. gonna just license it to you know uh to tj allard and company and they didn't even yeah. bite on it skinwalker ranch okay fine <laughs> you know you could could have made yeah. you millions of dollars whatever it just rolls right off the tongue i don't know how nobody's ever thought of it before kevin i think I it's don't brilliant know. Brandon, he's hoping that Kevin, you know, like passes away and then he won't have any any rights to it. That's what he's hoping. <laughs> so anyway, <laughs> he's waiting you out, Kev. Anyway, <laughs> all right, Debs, Debs has something, uh, has an audience uh, ditty for you. Okay, so in the um, questions in the audience, someone asked about Desai. Do you know what Desai is? Let's see... Desai. Paul Hynek is an ambassador for the UAP Society. I don't know. I'm not familiar with that acronym. Maybe if I knew exactly what that was. I know uh, Paul Hynek, he helped me. All I can do is talk about him personally. My relationship with him has just been a great, great individual. He helped contact the night vision company for me to help me put my presentation together for this Saturday. Helped me uh, look up a lot of the um, astronomical alignments that were going on that night. Um, oh yeah. Decentralized science. Okay. That's yeah. Right. I don't know why that didn't occur to me. Decentralized science. Yeah. That's basically the, the emphasis in the heart of like the symposium, this idea that like, um, having scientific research, not be just part of what's done behind certain institutions, walls and protocols uh it's the same thing that you know jim sagala and michelle miners are doing with their mupas project they're putting scientific equipment out into the community with actual experiencers so people who are like i'm having these out-of-body experiences where i think i might be abducted or i keep seeing ufos when I, I i wake up at night and i go outside and i'm seeing these lights in the sky they can actually put scientific equipment that's wearable or they can put that in their living room or in their bedroom or out even in their backyard and they can go back then after these people report encounters or paranormal incidents and they can look at the scientific data and say wow there's actually like a spike at this level of gigahertz and this frequency of, of gamma radiation just went off the charts and they can even track where it moves across the valley with other people they have the sensors placed with and everything and so the idea of decentralizing the research and the science is part of what helps 
people like me feel less crazy when you experience things. And it also makes it more realistic for people at high levels at scientific institutions or even at a government level to feel like they can share it without ridicule. And so it's kind of meeting on both ends where I feel like um, the high level people and the grassroots level are, are finally allowed to talk. So decentralized science, I think, is part of that plan is just like realizing that we live in an era today where the everyday person, even in their own home and garage, is doing a pretty significant amount of work and can do that with the Internet. And so it should be respected. And so I think that's starting to happen. Yeah. Deb was so cool. She's like, um, to make sure we didn't pass the baton. Works perfectly with my next question. Go ahead, Deb. <laughs> <laughs> that's not why. I know that was that was literally. OK, so anywho, I was. I was interested in the science aspect because the symposium is bringing so many different people together. And one of the things that I caught was that um, Chris Lado was talking about his experiment that's going to be happening. And I was just wondering if you could just briefly summarize for people that civilian science experiment that everyone will be able to witness on Friday. Yeah, it's going to be awesome. So Chris Lido, he's a former F-16 fighter pilot, and now he's has a whole NFT project to help fund and support a lot of the research that they're doing. And they've partnered up with uh, Jim and, and Michelle, and they're launching. Uh, not only are they launching NFT art up into space for fun with this uh, uh, out-of-orbit balloon that they're launching from up at Blind Frog Ranch, but they're also putting one of those MUPA scientific equipment things in there. So we're going to see if above the Uinta Basin, just like they're trying to test around in the basin elsewhere to see if there's some sort of a signal or weird stuff up in the sky at a certain elevation. We're going to be launching a balloon up uh, this Friday with sensor equipment on it and transmitting the data back to computers on Earth that are going to be tracking it. And similar type of research is going on that Avi Loeb's doing with his Galileo project and uh, a lot of other people. And I'm kicking off my uh, Magic Mesa research project and working on all of that. So there's going to be a lot of different aspects coming to the symposium. It's going to be exciting. Chris, Chris Lato is quite an interesting character. Um, uh, obviously, he's a colleague of mine from the Air Force from that standpoint, but son of uh, uh, basically his parents were hippies, lived in a commune, um, took a real interest in school in STEM, you know, in science and math, figured out he was really good at it, went to the Air Force Academy, got a, com you know, uh, a commission. Uh, actually, um, you have to uh, get a government gubernatorial or a senatorial uh, letter basically to, to even be considered to get in the academy. Uh, then, uh, in a competitive situation, flew F-16s uh, and, uh, you know, amassed uh, a couple thousand hours. Then he retires and moves to Portugal because he didn't like the scene, what was going on here in the U.S., a very politically and divisive and charged environment. So I'm going to take my kids to Portugal and the surf and be in a little more relaxed area. Then his kids challenge him to start a YouTube channel. Next thing you know, um, with him starting a YouTube channel, he's got 16,000 subscribers or whatever the hell it is. And he's um, not only debunked the debunkers who were trying to debunk very, very verified Navy accounts of encounters. And he was able to, you know, basically chaff those guys out of, you know, out of relevancy. 
But then uh, he's exploring all the aspects of consciousness. Now, as you said, getting into NFTs and saying, you know what? I got to launch my own science project funded by NFTs, something that a lot of people my age don't even know about. Well, I'm going to learn about it. You know, this is very Nathan-like in the way that he did that. I want to know about it. I'm going to learn about it. I'm going to become an expert in it. Mm. And the guy is amazing. I mean, like he, he really doesn't see boundaries of, of what he can what he can do when he believes in something. Uh, and he's such a multifaceted cat. And with that, let me turn it over to uh, Miss Stephanie. Yeah, I'm excited for that balloon launch. It's going to be pretty uh, monumental, really. So, um, But I, I wanted to also shed some light on one of the co-founders, Bob Brown. You know, if it weren't for people such as him, these types of events these would be taking that much longer to come forth. You know, I mean, they've been gathering researchers and scientists and just people who are trying to collect this data. And it just so happens that all of this information is coming out now. So, I mean, the timing of it, it's it's pretty interesting that it's all kind of happening now. Um, and, uh, you know, they, there are some some people in the background that haven't really had their name out there that, you know, they need to be recognized as well because yeah, he, he's the co-founder of UFO Megacon. So if it weren't for Bob Brown, then, you know, we wouldn't be doing this. So thanks to them. Um, you know, Blind Frog Ranch is also another one of the um, sponsors. So, you know, it's right down the road there. I know people are aware of that. So we have a lot of people backing this and that's, that's just, it's very promising. It's promising for the future of this because eventually one day we're all going to pass the torch on to the next generation. So it's just such a cool time to be sharing all of this, this data that, that we've collected and, you know, it's, it's just awesome. So anyway, I just wanted to say hi to, to Bob and just say, thanks you guys for, for producing this event. It's, it's going to be awesome. Yeah, there's a there's something that a lot of people don't know. They just see the surface level marketing like, hey, there's a convention going on. You know, they don't realize the line of synchronicity and the effort and the teams of people and how this used to be, you know, UFO Megacon and how it, uh, the collaborative effort between that group and Blind Frog Ranch pulling it together, working with the whole Uinta Basin. And, and there's so much going on behind the scenes. And even at a, at a personal level, you know, the, the amount of like what I would consider miracles and crazy things that have occurred that have lined this event up to happen. Uh, what I hope that comes out of it is more events like this, that an, another one happens a year later and it's twice as big and it becomes an avenue or a pipeline for people in positions that are sitting on footage or sitting on evidence that they need to get out and have no way to do it to provide a safe place with people from all walks of life uh, that, that can come and present it and have it have it revealed and released and, and do it in a place where it's in a location up in Vernal where it's known for that and has yeah. that reputation. It's perfect. That's perfect. I agree. Yeah. yeah. And I, I, um, Nathan, uh, that's a great point that you made, Steph. Nathan and I have talked about this at length. You know, everything on the earth ages and withers and dies you know everything wears away mm -hmm. and so too is our presence here as content creators as ufo twitter people 
we will eventually not be doing this and other newer, more interesting and more cool and more funny people will be will be doing this. So that I think I don't know if a lot of people see that. Uh, and that's an important point that you made there, Steph. We have a limited amount of time that yeah. we're going to be doing this, even though people think I'm going to be popular forever and people are going to be mm -hmm. liking my tweets 20 years from now. You know, mm -hmm. probably not. Um, but so, you know, take the time you have and expand the discussion and the conversation that you can uh, as, as you can. Um, I love it. I'm going to be tuning in virtually this weekend uh, myself. And and I also I have a question I want to ask. I want to pose this to uh, Carl, get get back to his research a little bit and, and to Nathan as well uh, to weigh in on this one. Uh, actually, I do the whole panel, but I know everybody else has questions they want to ask. So um, when you know people will interact with and, and talk to their plants, uh, I do. Um, you know, my, my garden friends outside and I'm, you kind of spoke about it and I'd like to get your take and Nathan's take on this. When you get into a space and you're taking stock of that space, you're getting comfortable. And, and what is the importance of your communication at that point with the space in, in your mind? Oh, it's everything for me. Um, yeah, that's a great question. I think that you know, when we're born and we're, we're young children, when we're really susceptible and we're trying to learn and it's it's for, for good intentions. But like our parents and teachers, you know, they fill our heads full of language and words and labels for everything around us. You know, you learn triangle, square, dog, cat, labels, names for everything. And what ends up happening is this default mode in our brains where from the second that we wake up, this dialogue starts in the language that we were taught in our mind when we were born. And we identify that with who we are. Uh, that conversation that we have with ourselves the second that we wake up dominates our, our entire day usually. So I try through meditation and mindfulness, even day to day when I'm going about my business, try to step back behind that and become more of like the witness of those thoughts and let, let that dialogue like go quiet and I just observe things more like a primitive person might or somebody like an like a cat would you know sit and look at a mouse hole waiting for a mouse to come out and so I think that sort of like stepping beyond the the normal cultural sense of self in that default mode way of thinking and perceiving reality is a big part of my way of approaching all of this is like um, connecting at that deeper level that deeper rooted um sensitive level of intuition and connection with the environment that goes beyond just that conversation in my head. And sometimes that crosses into dreams or what you would consider like a visionary experience or out of body type experience or remote viewing or just a deep, beautiful, relaxing moment of presence and, and awareness where I'm sitting. And so it uh, just depends on what my intention is and where I'm at, but definitely trying to open up and connect. I think when your thoughts are just racing constantly in the in your mind in the language, you're incapable of actually hearing or communicating with something that doesn't necessarily follow rules right. or ha have an alphabet, something more of a, a naturally based uh, thing, or maybe even an advanced entity might not think or communicate the same way. And so it's kind of like realizing you're stuck on one radio signal your whole life. You've been stuck on 101.5, and that's your dial on the radio, and then realizing that you can expand your awareness to perceive other signals, and you realize there's a whole 
ocean around you that you can perceive and interact with. And so that's what I try to do. Yeah. Dude, there's way too much REO Speedwagon on that station. I'm just kidding. <laughs> so, so, Nathan, so Nathan, you're 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 on an expedition. You arrive in one of these sacred spaces. You 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 see you see something that looks like it could be, like it's historic. Obviously, what what you know what happens? How how would you communicate with that? Yeah, I think, uh, well, you know, Carl, the way that he unpacked this a little bit from his meditation practice is very helpful. You know, the way in which we think literally does transform the way in which we are in the world. And so the things that are happening on the screen of our perception and the way we've been taught to delineate those things impacts directly the way in which we interact with everything around us. And so, you know, I think if you're approaching a, a, a let's use an example. So if you, if you grew up in a, a religious tradition, for example, and you enter into a, a holy place that your tradition has venerated, you know, you're going to approach that space from the vantage and the perspective of all of that tradition that comes behind it, that you have been taught and inherited. So you're going to have a kind of reverence for that that space, whereas someone who doesn't come from that tradition, it's just a big building. It's just a structure to them. It may not really mean anything to them at all. So I think it's it's an example of how that that is an inherited way of approaching something, but we can be intentional about it. So Carl, you know, talking to the fact that we are really kind of almost like passengers along this sort of train of thought that we're, we're really not in control. We're just kind of, we're, we're led along from one sequence of thoughts to another without really thinking or planning or whatever. We're just kind of a victim in a way of, of our, of our thought processes by interrupting that flow. When we come into contact with something that is new and novel. And, and as you said, it could be a historic site. Uh, I think we have to be more intentional about it. We have to, yes. we have to pause, observe, take in, try to, if you can, dissolve the separation between you, the observer, and what you are observing, you know, because th those are really kind of arbitrary differences, just as the, there are arbitrary differences between the separation amongst all of us. You know, we have this sense in which we are, you know, distinct kind of entities going about our way, but we really aren't. We're, we are interconnected in, in very deep, meaningful ways. And for those of us who believe that consciousness is kind of a, a fundamental quality of the universe, uh, we're, we're connected at, at a root level, you know, that, that transcends these sort of language barriers and things of that na nature. And Carl, I'm just kind of following your footsteps here because you're, you're going exactly where I wanted to go. Um, and that is also that when we think about non-human intelligence, which could encompass a lot of things, both things that we know about on this planet but things that we may not know about in our universe, you know, there is no reason to assume that that intelligence is going to function and behave and think and their entire thought structure is going to mimic our thought mm -hmm. structure. So when we are interacting with non-human intelligence, and we've talked about this recently last week with Lou Elizondo about communication, you know, we come into communication with a lot of assumptions, right? That if I do this, you're going to do that. And, that, and what you do there, that means what I think it means. The truth is we have no idea. And so this is a good example of putting into practice a new mode of thinking and of connection that is going to be essential for us to reach better understanding. 
you know, we're kind of trying, yeah. we need to have to discard the baggage of the language that we've inherited and try to learn and adopt and put on the clothing of a new way of, of being and relating. Yeah, I would definitely agree with that at a, at a high level. I think even a, a, another way of looking at it, we tend to think of like a, how do we communicate with non-humans? And by default, we start to imagine like alternate made up gibberish languages again, and we try to throw our own expectations onto that. But maybe instead of thinking of it, instead of a non-human interaction, think of it as a non-physical interaction and communication. Because then even if you're communicating with like some version of yourself 10,000 years ago, in ancient Egypt through meditation, you're going to have a non-physical interaction through that transcendental interaction and experience. It won't be with a language or physical communication even then. Even if it is a human-to-human telepathic communication, we're talking non-physical. So how does that work if you can't use words in a language that you are taught uh, and that you think in the thoughts in your own mind? We have to think about how these interactions occur in a non-physical aspect with, you know, we, we approach reality according to science and physics, and that's a great approach. But there's this whole non-physical reality just outside of, of that, outside of the crust of physics that is non-physical, that doesn't have to follow the rules of physics. And so when you start to try and interface with that, the rules sort of change. You realize that uh, communication doesn't have to be linear with words. It can come through as an epiphany or as a realization or as almost like a download where you suddenly know. Almost like Neo in the Matrix, just like, wow, I know Kung Fu. You can come out of a meditation and feel like you've had an experience where you've gained like a wealth of suddenly of understanding and, and knowledge and, and such. So as much as it is like trying to communicate with non-humans, it's important to understand and open up to just non-physical communication is a totally uh, other part of that conversation that is really important as well because it all operates similarly but slightly different when you understand that. Yeah. I'm, I'm thinking in terms of I'm, I'm traveling vicariously through you because I haven't done this, although, you know, you might be the inspiration for me doing it, but that these, some of these places that you visited and like the, those petroglyphs where you found they're the people who made those, there's an imprint there, not only a physical imprint, but there's also their presence is there still. And the question is, if I'm sitting there and I'm looking at it, is can I connect to them and communicate an intention, which I is what I think you're doing when you yeah. go there, when yeah. you arrive there. I think that's what you alluded to. Can I communicate an intention to know and to gain understanding without disturbing or disrupting in any way what they've left and maybe gain some acceptance there? So yeah. that's 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 how I I view it in my very simple. <laughs> yeah, it's almost like approaching even though there's no one there and it feels like you're interacting, so to speak, with with ghosts. It feels like you're approaching a foreign tribe and you're trying to gain fellowship. And so you try to approach it with that respect and that 
that mindset. I do anyways. Other people may not. But for me, that's very important to feel like I'm actually getting the truth of the message of the area and what they were trying to leave behind and what they were trying to say. So when I, uh, it's about listening. It's not about asserting my agenda. It's about going there and becoming the environment and really listening and becoming a part of it and trying to get in touch with that. And it does, you can kind of get a sense of that residue still lives on. It definitely, I believe what I've found is what they actually point to on that the magic is real and that it still lives on to this day. I just think people don't know where to look or how to look. You do. So um, we're gonna start close. We're gonna start closing it out. Uh, but so I think De- I think Debs has something. So we're gonna take it around the horn. People are gonna uh, say their last things. It'll be a little bit of a, a quick hitter. But please, uh, uh, De- De- Kevin. Kevin has something, right, Kev? Kevin, are I, you ready? I'll, I'll go. I'm frozen, man. I, I do. If, if we're not closing, are we closing? I mean, no, but we no. no. But go ahead, you. You know, go ahead. Okay, well, yeah. one of the things I do, I like reading quotes now. And, and you brought up something about culture. So I wanted to read a Terrence McKenna quote and get your perspective on it. So cool. I'm going to read it. It's culture. It says, culture is a perversion. It fetishizes objects, creates consumer mania. It preaches endless forms of false happiness, endless forms of false understanding in the form of squirrely religions and silly cults. It invites people to diminish themselves and dehumanize themselves by behaving like machines. I found that very interesting. Yeah, I agree with it totally. I think that like we were just talking about a little little bit ago, we get in like a default mode based on our culture and our upbringing where things like religion or political ideas, you grow up belonging to a team, a political party, a religious group, and a whole subset of ideas that shapes your user interface. All of a sudden you find yourself, oh, I'm in this user interface and this is how I see reality and this is what it all means to me. And it might not even be the truth of who you really are underneath all of that because all of that might have just been taught to you or put in there uh, from the people that, that raised you. And so the the real truth is what remains uh, when everything else is gone. If all the hard drives were erased and computers were gone and the books were destroyed, what's still there and what is that truth and what real really remains? And it's that human connection with awareness and reality and consciousness. Yeah. Can I get it? Amen. Oh, sorry. That, man, that might have been misplaced. Amen. De- Devs, what's he got, girlfriend? Yeah, I'll give so, you an I just wanted to bring it back a little bit to the conference because yeah. I know that this is right around the corner. We need to get eyes on it so that people can absorb all of the different pieces you guys have put together. And one of those um, pieces comes from Mexico, and some people aren't really sure, and I'm going to say it's not name wrong, I apologize, who Musan is, but he is the George Knapp of Mexico, for those who are not aware. That's who he is. He's the George wow. Knapp of Mexico. And there's actually a documentary about him that you can find. I think it might be on Prime still. Um, that was really interesting. And he's going to be there. And I was actually really excited to see his name on that list. And I thought I'd bring it up and let you chime in a little bit about that. Yeah. Jaime Musan. He's a awesome journalist, award-winning journalist down in Mexico. Um, one of the big reasons why he's coming to the event, I'm not sure how much I'm allowed to talk about this, but it is kind of a teaser for this weekend. One of the unreleased pieces of footage, uh, military-grade footage that's coming out of one of the UFOs, 
uh, has to do with the border. It has to do with relations with Mexico and uh, may or may not allegedly even cross the border and have international sort of connections. And so having uh, Jaime come and bring awareness down to Mexico is very relevant to some of the new pieces of UFO footage that are being released. Mm-hmm. So it's very relevant to the audience. And I know that we're even uh, selling a lot of tickets for people that are watching online down in Mexico. It's very exciting. Yes. Yes. Yeah. The online streaming is always available for everybody. So those are worldwide tickets there, you guys. So it's a three days Uh, I'll just touch on that really quick. Um, You have your own unique code for each day. It lasts for 24 hours. Uh, You are not allowed to share that with other people. So just so you know, if you do, it will become null. Um, But yeah, I mean, everybody is welcome to watch this live as, you know, everybody begins 9 a.m. Saturday morning. Avi Loeb is going to be presenting from uh, the Galileo Project, uh, speaking about Muamua and what what's news to all of us. So yeah, it'll be all delivered at the same time. So um, yeah, online streaming, I highly suggest at this point, it's not too late. So definitely check in on that. And uh, yeah, it's going to be a beautiful time. And by the way, Carl, your description of this abstract subject that we all so wish to follow was beautiful. So thanks for thanks for being on here tonight, too. Oh, thanks so much. Yeah. Thank you. Steph, I think it's ironic that Oumuamua looked like an overcooked piece of Hawaiian Spam. I don't know if that (laughs) struck you at all. I'm just trying to pronounce it, DJ, at this point. Oumuamua. All right. Um, all right. So uh, we had to. So actually, so that was your husband. Nathan, uh, do you have anything else for uh, for Mr. Mr. Vibe here? Sure. Yeah. So, Carl, uh, if we had to Mad Libs this real quick, uh, give me a few adjectives uh, for this weekend. Things that come to mind when you think about the things you've already seen just to give people hype for what, what's coming up. Oh, validating uh, for me, validating, reassuring and refreshing for me that's how it all feels to me it feels like it, kind of what i've been waiting for for a long time from all these different perspectives yeah everybody who participates and watches it if you are even just watching at home from the live stream there's going to be something that comes up over the course of the weekend that you're going to identify with or latch on to yeah. that you can either join in take part in get involved in or or support the cause from whichever angle you want to take part in this disclosure movement because i think you know even like lou elizondo says it's beyond disclosure the cat's already out of the bag the government's already admitting that the ufos are real now it's a matter of like understanding what it is what is this what are we dealing with what are we looking at and how do we approach it how do we even look at it and so that's where we're at now and i think this is really kind of the first big conference where we're trying to do that we're not discussing so much disclosure as far as like are these real we're now <laughs> digging in that's deeper. over <laughs> it's over yep. that, now, that we're, discussion not, we're not trying to decide if yeah. this is real yeah. or not yeah. now we're doing analysis and we're digging in from a multifaceted and angled approach from all angles to try and do it so uh yeah that's more than adjectives what you're asking for but yeah that's i'm perfect. stoked yeah stoked very, very excited man yeah, that moose you see in Kevin's hair. It's not a question of whether it's real. Yes, it's real. Okay, Deb, what do you have? 
<laughs> yeah, actually, I, I wanted to chime in a little earlier when we were talking about the online sales, because this is actually very special. We, we had mentioned earlier, Nathan was talking about the legacy. We're at another level now. Um, we're giving access to people who are interested in this subject, but did not have access to conferences before. I'm one of those people. I, I can't afford airplanes, so I can't right. afford hotel rooms. I'm I work for a nonprofit. I'm poor guys. So I'm, I'm thrilled that that's available to people. Yeah. Thank you. Um, So I'm thrilled that that's available, that we have that access. And and I just want to like tie that in with, it's like, we're making a virtual collective consciousness. Ah! (laughs) (laughs) 49.99. When, okay. UFO disclosure symposium this weekend, Vernal, Utah, blind fog ranch, Tons of speakers, including Carl the Crusher. Stephanie is going to be there kind of like being cool. I, I think that's probably, you know, like one of her strong suits. It's like her default um, mode, right? Yeah, her default mode, right? Um, so, and you're going to be, when is, she, when is he coming on the dev, the data dojo or data dojo, Debs? He's actually my first guest when I come back from Disney World. So that'll be, the, I think it's the first week in July. I will be there. Unless I perish between now and then, Carl, I'll be there. Sounds awesome. That's how much I want to talk to you again. Okay. Um, um, oh, okay. And uh, Steph would like to mention the yeah. debrief. Debrief's going to be there. Christine Newton, Micah Hanks, they're going to be out there supporting and rocking yeah. it out. So you'll be hearing from them quite a bit. So And yeah. Tim McMillan will be drinking cognac on the Rhine, watching <laughs> yeah. on his computer. Tim, where are you? So anyway... <laughs> Oh man, um, it's been an honor to speak with you. Uh, really, this is uh, this was uh, very, very thought provoking, very resonant with me, and not only me, everybody here, but I'm just speaking for, for me personally. So yeah, I can't wait till you come on, and then we'll wait since Deb, you know, was was so great at booking you. We'll wait a little bit, and then we'll get you on cap. Uh, we got to do that because there's so much to discuss with you it's ridiculous like this is nothing Mm -hmm. Uh, (laughs) so everybody say goodbye to my man carl the crusher appreciate you guys thanks so much for having me it's been awesome make some damn noise (laughs) thank you carl all right for uh for kevs for money nathan for deb's for uh, Steph Adelic, this is DJ saying peace out, one love. We'll see you down the road. And remember, this crew is always wondering what's up around the bend. Yeah, peace.